Hi, my name is Juliette Selgren, and this is my podcast, The Great Antidote. This podcast has been brought to you by the Center for Growth and Opportunity at Utah State University. To learn more, visit www.thecgo.org. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Jennifer Huddleston. She's the Director of Technology and Innovation Policy at the American Action Forum, where her research focuses on the intersection of emerging technology and law. Today, we are going to be talking about antitrust regulations and whether we need to use them against big tech companies. This is the second part of a series that we started last week with Don Boudreau, who explained what antitrust laws are and the history of these laws. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Juliet. Before we start, I want to ask you, what is the most important thing that people my age or in my generation should know that we don't? A lot of times when we think about big tech, when we think about what are the, the companies that are really influential in a certain space, we think about the companies that we've experienced. So kids your age may be thinking about things like Google and YouTube and Facebook and Amazon. But we've heard these arguments that these companies are too big and can't possibly be toppled before going way back. But particularly in the technology space, merely 10 to 20 years ago, we were hearing similar arguments about companies like AOL and MySpace that either don't exist or are much smaller players now. And the reason that those companies aren't as big anymore is not because we used antitrust law to break them up. It's because new innovative ideas were able to meet needs that consumers have and the market provided a better solution. And we saw that there really was a lot of dynamic change in this space. That's a really good response. And I've been thinking about it a lot in preparation from this for this and in talking to Don just about how the conversation is always about what is going on in the moment, what is relevant now. And it's kind of interesting, which we'll get into, is to think about, well, is it really a problem if you use it in your everyday life? But we'll get there. Um, so I kind of want to start with talking about what what the size problem is. In his column today, George Will said, quote, America has more diffuse anger than there are suitable objects at which to direct it. So some members of Congress are demonizing large tech companies. This, while pandemic-confined Americans are ordering even more stuff from Amazon and Googling even more than usual, end quote. He's right. People are using big tech more than ever before, I would say. And a few months ago, I was talking to Matthew Feeney about Section 230 and whether these big companies are biased against conservatives. But now I kind of want to talk about whether these companies really need to have antitrust enforced upon them. A recent report put out by the House of Representatives says that they deserve it, but I kind of want to unpack that. Are they too big? 
When we're talking about antitrust law, it's important to remember that we're talking about anti-competitive market damaging behavior, and we're talking about the impact that it has on consumers. We've typically used a consumer welfare standard to look at our consumers being harmed by the behavior. Big in of itself does not mean that a company is bad. And in fact, we want to be concerned about calls that presume just a large and successful company is automatically a monopoly or automatically harmful to consumers. Because as that example that you pointed out in the beginning shows, a lot of consumers are finding benefits of the services provided. And we are also seeing in many cases that there are easily available alternatives to these companies so that they don't necessarily fall under those traditional monopoly definitions. So for example, you can order something from Amazon or you could order it from Walmart or you could go to a local retailer and pick it up. And particularly during the pandemic, we've seen a lot of retailers get into new spaces that they might not have been in before. When it comes to a function like search, you may say that you're going to Google something, but you could just as easily use Bing or DuckDuckGo if you were particularly concerned about privacy, for example. So consumers actually are making choices, and oftentimes they're choosing these companies because they find value in that efficiency or because they enjoy the products and services that they provide. Some people, Democrats in that report, and also economists and just other people in general, have argued that the economic features of tech companies create unfair competition and insurmountable entry barriers for new competitors. Some of the examples we hear is that Facebook doesn't only own itself, but it owns WhatsApp and Instagram, and so it has a large market share. Google is more than just a search engine. Twitter, there's only one Twitter. These people conclude that, quote, forward-looking antitrust policies needed to prevent market dominance and the continuation of market dominance from undermining consumers' welfare. I think it's worth noting, noting that a lot of these services are free, but what do you think? Are consumers at risk of being abused? It's interesting that you point out that there's this question of can the current antitrust laws handle the kind of current market that we're in? And I would go back to my answer to your first question about what should kids think about this? Less than a generation ago, we were seeing headlines that MySpace is a natural monopoly. And what changed? It wasn't that the government came in and used antitrust laws or even rewrote antitrust laws and changed the definition of the market and the standard to break up MySpace, it was that Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok came along and changed the nature of competition. So for example, yes, Facebook may own Instagram, but when you look at what are the fastest growing social media platforms with kids your age, it's often TikTok or other platforms that may have not have just started to emerge. So what we're seeing is that the low barriers to entry in tech are still allowing a lot of dynamic competition. When you start looking at some of these other regulations that have been proposed or changes to the antitrust laws, we have to think not only what might this do to current players, but what might it do to 
the consumer experience in general, what might it do to the ability of consumers to use products that they currently find beneficial? And what are, is the better solution to providing consumers with better products? In a lot of cases, it is allowing for a dynamic market. And, why, and that's part of why we need to continue to focus on this consumer welfare standard rather than switching to a presumption that big is bad and inherently harms consumers in some way. One of the reasons why people say monopolies are dangerous is because they, they aren't, they don't have to be responsive to consumers. Is there any evidence that these big tech companies are unresponsive to consumers or are harming consumers in any way now? That's a great question, Juliet. And two things that I immediately kind of latch onto in it. The first is that monopoly means one company. In big tech, we're typically talking about several companies that often compete with each other. We're talking about companies like Amazon and Google who may be competing or Apple and Google who may be offering two different phone systems and competing with each other in very intense ways. Yet we're also seeing a lot of innovation, not only from these big companies themselves, but from small companies as well. We continue to see a large startup culture, both in terms of companies that may seek to improve existing products, as well as companies that are seeking to compete with these giants and provide even better solutions. At the same time, the existing giants can't just kind of rest on their laurels and are continuing to invest large amounts in research and development and are continuing to have to compete with new competitors in a wide range of services. So we aren't seeing that typical kind of stagnation that you would expect if these were truly monopolies. In a report for the Cato Institute, Ryan Bourne looks at the risk of antitrust regulation. He summarizes the warning of economist Joseph Schumpeter against using antitrust rules to protect consumers from monopolies. Born writes, quote, he recognized that the most important long, long-term competitive pressure comes from new products cannibalizing incumbent businesses through market product quality improvements. An antitrust policy that second-guesses the future based on the present ignores this unpredictable margin of competition to the detriment of consumers, end quote. Can you explain what Bourne is talking about here and what the risks of using antitrust rules are in breaking up companies? There are a couple of risks in using antitrust rules, particularly in a very dynamic market like technology. First, there's the risk that you're having to predict the future in some ways. You're having to guess which way certain markets may go when you look more skeptically at mergers and acquisitions. It's not always clear cut what's going to be a winner and loser. And oftentimes regulators may get that wrong. And the problem is when they get it wrong, who loses out are the consumers. Additionally, what we've seen time and time again is that it's that competitive process that really drives consumers to receive better products and that we're seeing new entrants, particularly in an area like technology, where there aren't a lot of regulations that prevent people from getting into the market, be able to provide a service that then 
has an incredible demand met for it. So for example, not that long ago, you would see headlines like how Yahoo won the search wars. Now, very few people use Yahoo. It's Google. Who knows what the next great search engine may be and how that may better respond to consumer demands. We've seen this with changing in social media. We've also seen it with more typical products like retail. Before everyone was concerned about Amazon's dominance, you had concerns about Walmart's dominance. And before that, it was Sears. And before that, it was AMP. So we're constantly seeing that it's innovative solutions that really drive improvement rather than regulatory intervention in a lot of cases. Why do you think that people don't see that, that they don't realize that and then adapt either their arguments or their beliefs about big companies? Why do you think that leads people to, I don't know, why do you think that doesn't actually lead people to realizing that it that the big companies aren't necessarily monopolies. I think oftentimes that we assume that the things that currently exist are the things that always have existed and always will exist. When ideally we need to be thinking optimistically about what may be innovated, what may be the next thing that can improve things and how we can create a culture that encourages people to try new things. When we only think that the current situation exists, we tend to respond to what we may perceive as problems with it rather than actively seeking to create a alternative that would be better and better meet the needs that we may see ourselves or others having. I I feel like this is a stupid question, but how would legislators go about breaking up big tech I know that Senator Warren wants to prevent some tech mergers like Facebook and Instagram or Amazon and Whole Foods, but how, how do legislators, how will they know, how do they know which mergers to forbid and which ones to allow? Also for mergers that have already happened, like Facebook and Instagram or Amazon and Whole Foods, what, what would happen? Would they force big tech like Facebook to sell Instagram? That's a really good question. And one that in a lot of cases, we don't fully know the answer to what would happen if these mergers had to be undone. In some cases, they would be very difficult to do and it would raise interesting questions. So if, for example, Facebook had to get rid of WhatsApp, would Facebook still be allowed to have its own messaging service or would that be considered... to to be a violation as well. When it comes to what legislators can do, this is actually kind of part of the very interesting dynamic we see going on right now. We talk a lot about uh, Senator Warren or other legislators that have had proposals to change antitrust laws. And that's one thing that could happen. We could see legislation, a bill from Congress that is introduced that says that now we aren't going to allow certain types of mergers um, or we're going to require additional scrutiny. We're going to shift the burden of of we're going to assume these mergers are bad until you prove they are good, um, something along those lines, or we're going to assume these mergers cause harm until you show that they they don't. 
Um, you could see a, a change in the burden. You also, though, have the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, and the Department of Justice who already enforce existing antitrust laws. And there's been a lot of conversation about investigations that they have going on into several of the large tech companies and what might come out of those. So you could see if they have evidence under a traditional antitrust case that there are that there is a harm to a consumer welfare standard, um, what that could look like. But there's a lot of concern that they could also come up with a creative legal case that doesn't follow these traditional norms and changes the way antitrust is enforced and raises greater questions, particularly if the court accepts a kind of very creative case and doesn't that doesn't follow the, the traditional standards of antitrust. And the interesting issue in both those cases, whether it's legislation or it's the result of a, a bad court ruling, is while there are people that are concerned about big tech, antitrust doesn't just impact big tech. It impacts a wide range of, of industries and is a general kind of economic policy. So what you could see is that things like saying that you can't sell your own products as well as be a marketplace for other sellers doesn't just impact Amazon. That could also impact something like the Kirkland brand at Costco. Um, You could see concerns about mergers and acquisitions, not only in the tech space, but in, say, the energy space as well. So it's important to realize that even though we're talking about this in the context of technology, as you talked about with Don, I'm sure this is a much bigger question and the potential impact is much larger than just this one industry. I mean, it is just, I don't know, people always talk about it in the context of this. And while I understand that this is, and like big tech being this, that it's very relevant because it's probably the easiest to be identified of like, oh, big companies that we use every day. It's still not, it's not, it's not the only one. It's not the only thing that is impacted by this, which is just crazy to think about how almost short-sighted people are in identifying what the effects of the legislation would be. So kind of along those lines, what, what would the impact of this legislation or an increase in this legislation be like, how would it impact consumers? It would depend on the exact nature of the legislation, but it's really interesting because you could see some very direct impacts on consumers from things like what's been proposed called a, a kind of Glass-Steagall for tech, which was a banking law that required separation between different sectors of, of banking. And the idea is that particularly for a company like Amazon or even for something like Apple's App Store, that you wouldn't allow the company both to sell its own products as well as to have a, be a third-party seller to, to allow other people to sell their products as well. So the result could be that you lose certain generic products. So if you wanted to buy Amazon basic AA batteries for for the remote control, you might not be able to do that if they're going to also offer a third party's batteries. Um, And that goes to the way that you could also see how this could apply 
to brick and mortar retailers as well. In terms of calls to say undo some of these mergers like Facebook and Instagram, it's also raises some really interesting questions about what that would mean for some of the services consumers are being are used to being to have. So if Instagram has pictures, can Facebook also have pictures or is that going to be considered a violation? And that's the most kind of extreme example. But the short version is in a a case like trying to undo some of these mergers, what you're also going to see is a lot of court oversight, a lot of questions that involve companies having to constantly go to the court to ask permission. And that can prevent them from doing other more innovative things that would actually benefit consumers. And sometimes what happens is while companies are, are dealing with these issues, it prevents them from looking at more innovative solutions that might actually improve things more and result in more competition. So the question of, you know, breaking up the phone company is often pointed to as an example of when antitrust worked, but none of us really think about who's your long distance provider. In fact, kids your age probably have never thought of that question of who who's <laughs> your long distance service provider, because what it is, is it was actually the cell phones and the mobile phones and the rise of new technologies like voice over internet calling that really opened up that market to a wide range of competition. I know that Senator Warren has also talked about how she wants to pass legislation that requires platforms to be designated as, quote, platform utilities and wants to break them apart from any participant on that platform. I, for one, have no idea what that means. So could you explain what this means and kind of what that means for us in turn? A lot of that goes back to the idea of a platform shouldn't be able to be both a seller of products and provide an opportunity for others to sell. So some of that goes back to the idea that you you don't want a platform. The the argument people like Senator Warren usually make is that these platforms are abusing the data that they're getting to drive other people out of business. When in reality, there's not, they, they don't have all the data necessary to know exactly what goes into a product. And we've long seen different retailers engage in making generic versions of, of popular products at a, a lower cost. If you go into any grocery store, you'll see the generic cereal next to the name brand cereal. And which one you pick may depend on whether you care a little more about how much money you spend or if you think that the Lucky Charms actually tastes better than the Walmart brand of it. It also... Though the concern about making it a utility is that that will then result in a lot more government regulation in general. That will allow a lot more government intervention into this market, similar to what we see in other utilities, things like electricity or things like um, sewer systems. So that's a, another reason to be concerned is that Part of what has allowed the technology to evolve so much and to be so beneficial to many of us is that these companies have been able to see a need and 
provide a solution without a lot of barriers to to entry. If you think about the fact that, you know, you can start this podcast at home, whereas if you were trying to start a radio show, how many different steps you would have to go to go through to make something a utility is going to put up various barriers along the way and allow a lot more government regulation in the process. I can't stop thinking about how I, I, I really, okay. I go to Seven Eleven a good amount with all my friends and well, not all my friends because COVID and stuff, but you know, um, we go and they have this chocolate chip cookie ice cream sandwich. But they also have the Toll House brand. And the 7-Eleven brand is $1 cheaper and it's bigger, but it doesn't taste as good. So depending on how I'm feeling on a particular day, I choose one or the other. I I never really thought about how that that little choice I have to make every day could be affected by legislation like this. It's the little things, people. I don't want that choice taken away from me. I don't know. That's That's just how I feel. And I just thought of that and I was like, whoa. And that that's suck. And that's a great example too of how you might not necessarily think of the benefit of having that choice in the moment, but when you think of that choice going away, I think a lot of us are suddenly aware of those huge benefits that we are experiencing and how wrongly using antitrust laws, changing away from this focus on the consumer welfare standard could actually harm consumers rather than help In an article that Medium recently wrote, it says that, quote, nearly half of all e-commerce goes through Amazon. More than 70% of all internet referral traffic goes through sites owned or operated by Google or Facebook. As these companies have grown larger and more powerful, they've used their resources and control over the way we use internet to squash small businesses and innovation and substitute their own financial interests for the broader interests of the American people, end quote. What do you say to people like Warren and others who argue that small businesses are hurt by big tech? There are two things to think about with small businesses when it comes to how they both benefit from big tech and these questions about are these tech giants now big enough that that they are monopolies? First, are the, the statistics that you mentioned are, are largely in question. Um, there, there were statistics mentioned about the percentage of, of retail traffic through Amazon in the House Judiciary Report that no one has really found a citation for. Um, the second one, second element there is when it comes to small businesses themselves, in many cases, they've had new platforms emerge. So if you were a small business and you wanted to start selling online, it used to be that you would have to go through setting up your own website. And that can be very costly in some cases, but there are people who want to do that for, for various reasons, and you can still do that. The advantage of having platforms now is maybe you want to start selling bracelets online. You can go to Etsy and have a platform for that, or you can start offering your product through Amazon as well. When in the past, you would have not had that option at all. So in a lot of ways, these platforms have provided new opportunities for small businesses in addition to still those 
those small businesses having the opportunities to do their own retail options as well. It also, in some cases, is easier to offer a product online than it would have been to, say, get it picked up by a large retail store. So in the past, if you had wanted to to expand, you would have had to kind of get your product potentially picked up or open a storefront even, whereas now you can do a small business online at, at much, much lower cost and kind of try this out before deciding what the next steps might be. I had a small business online one time. I used Depop. I sold my old clothes. It was cool. Um, but like, imagine if that didn't exist. Imagine if that wasn't possible. I don't know. I just feel like life is better for options like that. And I can really see how it will help people that are selling things like smaller businesses. I feel like it uplifts like small businesses more than puts them down in any way. And I feel like using Google to then find it then also helps them. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, well, it's when just... you think about things like advertising for small businesses in the past, if you had wanted to run an ad on in your local area, somewhere like DC, where you and I are, are both based, that's a very expensive ad market to, to try and buy a billboard or to try and run a print ad or to try and get a television ad. Now you have an option of advertising online that's going to be much cheaper and in some cases may help you better reach your market of people that you're trying to, to reach. So if I was trying to reach high school students today, I wouldn't be looking at, at trying to advertise on a on a billboard. I would be looking at social media advertising or advertising online to try and reach those people. And I can do that at a much lower cost than I could have previously when you just had more traditional ad mediums. I haven't read the House report from last week on big tech, but I assume it contains policy similar to the policies where you're not allowed to sell if you are also letting third-party sellers sell and like stuff that we mentioned before. Is there anything specific we should know that came out of that report? What's really interesting about that report is what it signals, which is that report gave a lot of really broad policy recommendations and really was what various senators and representatives have been calling for in terms of a complete rewrite of the antitrust laws. These are not just little tweaks to existing standards. This would be basically completely redoing the current system that we have. And that could have a lot broader impact than just on technology. So it includes things like, you know, separation between being a seller and a platform. It includes much more scrutiny on mergers. There are a lot of things there. That it also calls for overturning several Supreme Court cases regarding antitrust. So there's a lot of changes there that would make this use of this law very different than it is today. So that's the Democrats. I know that the Republicans like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley are also upset about big tech. What's their beef with big tech? One of the interesting things about 
the current debates over big tech is we've started to see calls to use antitrust law for things that aren't competition issues. And this happens on both sides. But a lot of times, conservative complaints with regards to big tech have to do with online content and feeling that conservatives are are not are being silenced by the current big platforms or have to do with concerns that about the content that is on those platforms as well or what was taken down or or left up using antitrust laws to solve other policy problems whether it's content moderation or data privacy is not a good idea for for two reasons first off it opens up the use of this incredibly powerful tool for any number of policy purposes. So if you think that the Republicans are right right now, then you have to kind of step back and ask yourself, would you want the Democrats to also be able to use this tool to go after whatever policy they thought needed to be achieved by going after an unpopular company? On the other hand, if you're if you're skeptical of the Republicans using this tool for more political purposes, then you should also be skeptical if Democrats want to use it for political purposes rather than actual competition arguments. With concerns like online content um, and data privacy, it's really interesting to think about what breaking up big tech could do to this. So when we're talking about these things, usually Facebook, because it is a social media platform, so we think about online content moderation and privacy a bit more in those contexts, is an easy example to point to. So if you break up Facebook into several different Facebooks, there's no guarantee that you're going to see any change in the content moderation policies of those different Facebooks. In fact, it may even be worse for some of the content because they don't have the resources to check that certain things are not making it online or to engage in making sure that they um, are, that they're, or to update their policies or, or whatever, they're going to have much more limited resources. Same thing with data privacy of if you take a big company and you you split it up, some smaller elements that now don't feel that they have to rely on data and can be more privacy centric might find that in order to stay afloat, they have to start selling ads or monetizing data in some way to make sure that they're able to continue to offer their product to their consumers. In my podcast with Don Boudreau on the origins of antitrust, he argued that public sympathy came for for antitrust came because it was aimed at new and unfamiliar forms of businesses and business practices, especially unusually large firms that seemed to be making money out of nowhere, but really it was made possible by innovation and railroads, electronic communication, things like that. People hadn't seen that sort of thing and were scared of it. And the firms weren't really monopolies back then, as we talked about before, but people thought that they were, and it was easy for people to think that they were. Do you think that the sympathy for antitrust today comes from a similar place than it did back then, that people are unfamiliar with the kinds of businesses that have been made possible in the past 25 years? 
In some ways, I think so, that you have this kind of general what has been referred to as tech lash of, of people that are skeptical of technology or of the impact that it is having on the lives of young people. They've seen a lot of change and they may not fully understand it. They may not like that these companies are are successful for what they may see as as out of nothing or even in some cases what they may see as as detrimental and and kind of a nostalgia for the way things were beforehand. So I definitely think you have this element of kind of this is seen as a way of going after companies that people are are questioning their, their role, even though they're also experiencing unprecedented benefits from them, particularly during the pandemic, the fact that many of us have been able to work from home or do school from home in a way we wouldn't have been able to 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago. When you think about the ways that you're able to stay connected to friends and family or or to order things online or any number of things that we really have seen huge benefits from technological innovation and that there's potential for even more benefits when we talk about things like autonomous vehicles or drone deliveries or or things that are, are still in very early phases now. I think what's important, though, to, to realize goes back to the we've been there before in many different ways. And we need to look not only at the times when we've intervened and what perhaps the unintended consequences of that were, but also at some of these other examples, particularly in the technology space, where things that we were concerned about proved to be untrue and that it was actually innovation that improved the situation and innovation that gave more competition in ways that we couldn't have expected. A lot of my friends say they're always like, oh, I hate Amazon. But then like the next day they're like, oh, I just got this cool thing from Amazon. And I'm like, that's kind of ironic, is it not? And it's kind of weird to see the extent to which I don't know, they don't see the fact that they're doing that or they just don't care. And then I'm always like, oh, why do you hate Amazon? And they're like, oh, it's just so, so big. And I'm like, that's not really, that's not really an argument. It's just kind of weird. I and don't I know. think the point there is many of us do use these products because we find a benefit in them. But even if you didn't want to use Amazon, there are still plenty of options out there for you to find the same or similar products. There are other ways to get a similar service. And that we're, it may be that one of your friends decided that they had a better way of doing this. And what we want is to continue to allow very easy market entry in this space because it is a ever-changing market. And I feel like putting more legislation, especially antitrust legislation, would kind of make it more difficult. Because what if you came up with a business idea that was new and efficient, but somehow there was already legislation blocking it? I just feel like it's it would make it more difficult than, I don't know, than not. And I don't know, I'm kind of, are you worried at all about the future of innovation if anything like this goes through? I would worry about the impact that regulation or 
unnecessary intervention could have in the future for two reasons. The first is if we break up companies just because they're big and successful, well, that could deter people from trying to become big and successful in this space and make them not as excited or or not as innovative in, in the future. It also, though, could mean that we don't ever see what that next great thing is as a result. Now, if these companies are actually violating law, then that's a different situation. But we need to keep those existing antitrust standards in mind and not presume that just big and successful automatically equals bad. Regulation is also concerning because oftentimes large companies can afford to comply with regulations. They they have legal teams, they have the resources where it may take away from their own innovative capabilities, but they can afford to comply with them. Small companies just getting started might not have those resources to be able to get off the ground if there are additional regulations. Additionally, in both those cases, whether it's breaking up successful companies on the grounds that their success alone made them too big or putting additional regulations on an industry, you may see that people get more cautious in terms of they feel like they need to ask permission before they start in an industry or before they start their product on the market. And that could prevent us from receiving some great ideas that instead get bogged down in red tape and either never come to fruition or people decide not to pursue them because they don't want to go through the the burden of having to go to the government and, and go through all the steps rather than just provide the product and service that they feel is needed. What is one thing you believed at one time in your life that you later changed your position on and why? This is a a really tough question um, because I think that ideally you're constantly kind kind of refining your positions based on new information you may encounter. I will say one thing for, for me on a kind of personal level was that while you certainly want to have kind of a a plan, you have to be open to kind of a dynamic element in your own life. Things might not always go according to plan and you have to be willing to, to change along with it. And oftentimes that will lead you to new and better ideas and new and better places as well. Um, In terms of particular policy areas I think that for me, one of the things that I have seen the most growth in my own understanding of is really the harmful effects that um, occupational licensure can have and how that can really be a barrier and how extensive it can be. It was something that I hadn't really encountered until I started to read other people's work on it and had just always assumed that, you know, the role of the government is to keep people safe. So if they say that an occupation needs to be licensed, clearly there had to be a reason for that. And then when you start to find out things like in some states, interior designers have to be licensed or that the Louisiana florist exam has a passage rate 
lower or or the same as the Louisiana bar, you start to to question whether or not those are truly well intentioned, or if they are things that are set up as a result uh, of regulatory capture and to keep new players out of the industry. And so that's certainly something that I think of in this space is I want to make sure that we're not erecting barriers to technological innovation that could prevent new entrants um, from providing a great service to consumers. I think that's a great response. I mean, I kind of thought how could how could having like requirements to be like an electrician or something how could that be bad but then you see people at home trying to fix their own stuff and then getting like electrocuted and you're like why did you do that oh well it's too expensive to hire an electrician and then you're like oh well, so that's not good. Why is it so expensive? You ask the electrician. Well, you don't always actually, but some people have. And you read about this and you're like, oh, it's because it costs so much to get licensed or because there was no check because no one else could become an electrician or something like that. And it just, I don't know. That is the sort of stuff that hurts the consumer. And I mean, you're right. I hope nothing like that happens to big tech that kind of squashes competition, but also innovation in the future. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I feel like I learned so much about big tech and everything that's happening now in regards to antitrust. And I learned some things that I was very confused about. Um, So thank you so much. I hope, and I know that my listeners will learn a lot also. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course.